I'm Sherry Walsh, assistant head of school at Brookwood, and I'm here with Andrea Francois, who is um, K through six director of Brookwood, and um, David Bose, who is theology chair and college counselor, also at Brookwood. This is episode 17, uh, Peeper, and I'm going to go ahead and give it a subtitle in case there's more than one Peeper episode. This is Leisure, the Basis of Culture and Hope. Hi, Andrea. Hello, Sherry. Happy to be here. <laughs> Hi, David. Hello. Good to be back. Talk right. about Peeper. Yeah, I, this is uh, so. This is a podcast suggested by David um, after we uh, completed the the previous podcast about um, Fuldenyi and um, some sort of philosophical questions um, handled in a more sort of culturally current way. Um, Peeper is writing from um, between the wars and um, and after World War Two, and um, and he'll bring a kind of um, a philosophical. Um, look a more purely philosophical look at some of the similar uh, some similar questions and um, and some different ones as well. Hey David, do you want to give us a little background on Peeper? Sure, he is a 20th century Thomist philosopher. He's Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI's favorite uh, philosopher. Nice. Uh, he's a German. He wrote for a long period throughout the 20th century, mostly essays, um, and yeah, he's fantastic. So, you want me to talk about these two books? Sure. So, Hope was written in 1934. It's his first book. You can now get it in a compilation of Faith, Hope, and Love that Ignatius Press put together because they're the three theological virtues. Uh, but he wrote Hope before he wrote Faith and Love. Love was his last work. And then Leisure, the Basis of Culture is probably his most famous work. Uh, at least it's the one that most people who have heard of Peeper have heard of. He wrote it in the 50s, and it's kind of... It, it, feels like he's summarizing or pulling from a lot of his other thought in Leisure, the Basis of Culture. So you find that he has a pretty coherent body of thought from the beginning. I mean, so if you go back to the 30s or whatever, we find things that are pretty much also of a piece with sort of where he ultimately goes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, yeah, because he's, he's in the Thomistic tradition, and uh-huh. so that, that helps him a lot think but he, i also like him because i think he's like an everyman's philosopher because yeah. he writes in a very i think clear way and that's not to say you're going to understand everything your first time through i've read hope now eight or nine times and i'm still pulling new things out of it mm. um but it it's he writes in such a way that is accessible too i think you don't need yeah. a, a philosophical background to kind of understand what he's saying yeah i know when i picked up leisure the basis of culture i was really glad um, that I that I could read it easily, you know, having um, read a bunch of you know literary theory in my life, I was really glad that this was um, this was easy to deal with. And I like too that he talks a little bit about um, how some philosophers um, seem to make things less accessible, kind of on purpose, like it should be difficult. Mm-hmm. And I actually remember encountering that in Kant and in Hegel. Um, like this idea that things should be difficult and that you should have to work at them. Um, even if it's not strictly speaking necessary. Yeah. You know, you know, Kant says that too. You know the joke about Kant, right? Tell me the joke about Kant. A man so difficult not even his mother understands him. Ah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, Andrea, how did you um, enjoy your reading? I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I would go a step further from being um, not comfortable with philosophy to the mm-hmm. I don't like philosophy. I find it actually very irritating, um, mostly because it's hard for the sake of being hard. Um, or it... Uh, Perhaps abstract? Well, 
Sometimes, and other times it causes me to reevaluate my life in ways that I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with. So I was actually really surprised by how much I enjoyed reading these two things. Um, and would even like consider maybe reading some more in the future after I've read a couple more novels and watched (laughs) some TV. So. (laughs) Okay. Um, so thinking a little bit about how this goes to, I think that, um, that having him with his vantage, um, from like between the wars and after the second world war, you get also, and he's German, you get um, a, a lot of um, a lot of mid-century uh, making sense of the horrors of the first half of the 20th century and a lot of um, issues and ideas that certainly relate forward into our time. Um, I don't know if you found that to be the case as well. There were some moments where I thought, oh, wow, he's, you know, he's having to, to think about the Holocaust or, oh, wow, he's having to, um, to put together these um, sort of political ideas that are actually in play in his time that haven't been settled. Um, I don't know if there were moments, too, where you felt that um, what he offered relates to, that either seemed historically important for his own time or um, seemed to reach forward into our time. I um, came across towards the end of uh, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, where he's talking about um, festival and celebration. It seemed really, um, David used the word prophetic, his uh, kind of projection of what happens to the idea of the festival when it is stripped of its religious connotation and what he sets out as the the hollow false presentation mm-hmm. seemed really like that hit me a lot of like what is happening today mm-hmm. where people are very determined to have these celebrations of things that end up being really hollow and actually just upsetting um so i actually thought that was like really impressive it was like wow you thought that through to the end and now we get to live in it how exciting yeah Yeah, it seems like there's something about leisure with its etymology in school i would like to point out and um the idea of culture with its etymology and cultus having to do with Mm -hmm. divine worship um so it seems like there are um i mean there are connections there that um that i mean that he has he has something specific in mind when he says leisure and he has something specific in mind when he says culture I think at this point, I will turn to Mr. Bose uh, to elucidate some of that. Oh, uh, okay. So, well, do we want to talk about um, his concept of, like, uh, before we get into leisure, like, the intellectual life? Sure. And how the classical medieval understanding of the intellectual life is a lot different than kind of 20th century Sure, that's a good place to start. We should do it. So this is about um, ratio and intellectus? Yes, yeah. Yeah, which, so he, he brings up kind of how we typically think of, well, so the premise of leisure, what he's trying to do is, is basically show how our workaday world culture of just like work for the sake of work and constant grind and all this stuff is actually very, is anti-human and mm. is actually destructive of the, of the human person and destructive of human society. And um, he kind of does that through looking at how, I would say, Marxist ideology uh, has infused 
the educational sphere mm-hmm. and the academic sphere, where the academics used to understand what they were about, but now in this kind of desire to like identify with the everyman worker or whatever, sure. they have like the concept of intellectual work or the intellectual worker. Yeah, and even before yeah. that, I think about like our conversation about Dewey. Um, yeah. I mean, the idea that everything has to have use value and mm. um, and everything is about sort of progress to any end. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, because I, I think, but I think, again, Dewey's kind of writing in that, I think, yeah, the problem is really that late 1700s or throughout the 1800s and, like, Peeper's kind of living in the, the fruit of that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so ratio is kind of what we typically think about when we think about the intellectual life, I think, in modernity, of kind of, like, a discourse of reasoning, of working through problems. But intellectus, he doesn't get into the etymology of intellectus, but... um it's it's like to read from within and so what he's talking about is kind of like this intuition that we have which i think a lot of modern philosophers a lot of kind of the the rationalists would would not like but he's saying no like all true intellectual life or even the rational life begins in gazing with wonder at the goodness of reality yeah And, and and like intellectus is kind of just allowing yourself to be impressed mm-hmm. or allowing something to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, that, and, and that's really where the intellectual life begins. And this contemplation with wonder of the things outside of oneself. I don't know if contemplation is the wrong word. No, I think that I think he want, he wants to talk about contemplation. Uh-huh. And, and for him, contemplation is really just kind of experience. It, it's, it's not something that you're necessarily working towards. It's uh-huh. rather something you are experiencing that's leading to act. So it's like an active reception of reality. Yeah, yeah. That begins your ability to appreciate and, and do ratio, I think, well. Okay. So I was reading along um, here on um, pages like 31 and 32 where he talks about... Um, where he um, he disagrees with Kant um, about um, about sort of what the process is or should be, and he gets to this. I mean, again, Kant this the, the good should be difficult stuff, and um, then there's this quotation from Schiller: um, "How willingly I'd serve my friends, but alas, I do so with pleasure, and so I am often worried by the fact that I am not virtuous, um, <laughs> and that the way that that plays." Um, Andrea, you laughed. Oh, because I I think that's actually something that a lot of, I'm going to say millennial Catholics fall into that trap. That if something is pleasing or easy or simple, that it is not really what God is calling you to. Um, And I say it with that kind of inflection. No, no. Um, I think kind of the particular situation you're thinking of. Yes. So, Um, like, and I mean, I think of it in, like, in my own life. Um, And I I always kind of laugh every Lent when, you know, it's Ash Wednesday and the priest stands up there and he's like, don't try to do everything. And I'm sitting there like, I will become the most perfect human being in the next 40 days because I was so impressed with the way he talks about the culture of, sorry, I shouldn't use that word, the life of total work because I was like, oh, I live this. This is all my life. Mm -hmm. And this just very like simple thing where it, because he says after that, 
hard work then is what is good. I'm like, oh, that's my like tombstone. <laughs> um, so that's why I laughed. Farm, <laughs> like, farm. I yeah. Work harder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think that people at this table are um, are well, some people at this table are are, are prone to are prone to that. I um, actually thought too of. Um, a poem, unsurprisingly, uh, by James Wright that um, you may or may not be familiar with, but I'm interested in the way that it interacts or doesn't with this idea of intellectus. So I'm going to read the poem. Sounds good. Um, This is called Lying in a Hammock at William Duffy's Farm in Pine Island, Minnesota, by James Wright. Over my head, I see the bronze butterfly asleep on the black trunk, blowing like a leaf in green shadow. Down the ravine behind the empty house, The cowbells follow one another into the distances of the afternoon. To my right, in a field of sunlight between two pines, the droppings of last year's horses blaze up into golden stones. I lean back as the evening darkens and comes on. A chicken hawk floats over, looking for home. I have wasted my life. Can look at it if you want. That's great. But um, so, I just wonder, it's like, so is that some kind of um, problematic romantic indolence, um, or uh, or is that uh, more about the, the the contemplation with wonder of the thing that's outside of ourselves? I mean, that's. I mean, so I, I was just wondering about that, like as a piece, and how, like, I mean, so where does where does intellect just lie? Like what, I mean, what is this notion of leisure, right? Mm-hmm. And how does it, how does it work? And how does it interact with pleasure? And how does it interact with indolence? And how does it, you know, so if it's not, you know, like, how does it work? So I, I thought this was like, an, this piece came to mind when I read the little Schiller snippet um, as something to sort of think about. So is, is he saying, like, is the I have wasted my life because he hasn't done enough of this? Or because of what he's doing, the poem he doesn't is the say. Poem, man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I no, I like it. I because I, I think like what that is right is and so he actually has a quote from Saint Thomas to open the philosophical act, which is the next. Ah. It's like in this book, Leisure: The Basis of Culture. We didn't read it, but the reason why the philosopher may be likened to the poet is this: both are concerned with the marvelous. And I think like in modern society, we juxtapose. I mean, what. St. Thomas was a philosopher, he was a theologian, he was also a wonderful poet, like anyone who went to Corpus Christi Mass, all of the hymns, the Eucharistic hymns are all him, like he wrote all of them, including the sequence, which is my favorite sequence, Uh, but it's because for Thomas and the the older tradition, like Plato wrote dialogues, right, like he wrote literature, he didn't write, Yeah. and Aristotle we know wrote dialogues too, we've just lost them, but they were poetic. Because they began in wonder, and mm-hmm. the poet begins in wonder as well. Yeah, and I think like that, po- poet, good poetry and good philosophy can only happen with leisure. I think yeah. is like, is and it, it's that sense of and because good philosophy leads to the ratio, but if the ratio does not begin in the with intellectus, mm-hmm. with kind of the experience and and recognizing there's something wonderful here. There's yeah. something beautiful to Well, I mean, told. Wordsworth, um, that poetry comes from um, experience recollected in tranquility. Mm. I mean, it seems like, I mean, you have to kind of watch Wordsworth a little, but, mm. um, but I think that that's, I mean, it seems like there's, there's, I mean, there's maybe not enough wonder in that definition. Yeah. Um, but, 
Yeah. But yeah, but so I mean, it's not clear whether um, the speaker in the right poem is um, "I have wasted my life." Isn't that fantastic? Mm. Um, or I, I have wasted my life like this. Or I have wasted my life because I haven't done enough of this yeah. on my friend's farm, you know, or wherever. I mean, the the, true, the title does help sort of suggest to us that um, that the speaker is, um, you know, maybe hasn't spent enough time doing this. Yeah, maybe he's gone to his friend to do it. It's not like his own farm. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Um, but the um, but you you're comfortable with this sort of looking at the world with a kind of wonder as um, part and parcel of this idea of leisure. Yeah. My, I, yeah, I think that's that's necessary if, if we're going to have like authentic leisure, right? Because he says leisure cannot be done for the sake of something else. Right. right? Like he talks about that. Like it's not to rejuvenate and recharge so that you can get back to work. Right. Like St. Thomas actually has a, another virtue that he talks about that's, like, for that, uh-huh. you know. Um, and, and so, like, that is important, like, doing something to, like, recharge, rest, you know, rekindle. But that's le- leisure is something distinctive from that, mm-hmm. you know. And then, again, you look at the monastic life and you can see that where they have a balance of working, mm-hmm. praying, contemplating, yeah. and, and also playing. Like, they, they, they have recreation because mm-hmm. you've got, like, you have to, like, do it all. So right. in some ways, maybe the poem too is leisure, is um, leisure kind of masquerading as indolence, mm. right? I mean, the idea of lying in the, the hammock. Um, well, I don't know because Peter talks about the the um, how sleep and contemplation are so okay. closely yeah. related, you know. Yeah. And so you know, like there's a sense of just kind of if you're not relaxed, you can't really right have leisure. You're not open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but there also seems to be a difference of intention. Like, mm-hmm. idleness mm-hmm. in Peeper mm-hmm. seems yeah. to be that idleness is the intention yeah. to not be working, but not be mm-hmm. living in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that leisure, as expressed through contemplation, is is the intention to be fully yourself as a creature in a created world that you are essentially worshiping, Mm -hmm. but not in that weird way where like we're worshiping nature. Um, So I'm sorry. I've still got the poem in front of me. So I'm like not saying that we're like worshiping the butterflies. Um, I think you you couldn't, you couldn't couldn't perceive this if you were idle though. You know what I mean? No. I'm pointing at the poem. (laughs) Yes. Well, and because he talks about it, I have it underlined somewhere, and I underlined too much stuff, so now it's all just underlined. But he... Um, in the beginning, like, he does talk about how the, um, the, the, um, the action has its base and its end. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be close to what you said, at least at the beginning. You may be going someplace else further now, but, um, but that idea, too, like, what is the intention of the, uh, of the action? And I like this idea, too, of idleness as... Um, doing nothing, but also not being in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here it is. Idleness, according to traditional teachings, is the source of many faults, and among others, of that deep-seated lack of calm, which makes leisure impossible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that that, like, we experience that playing on our phones, pretending, like, making lists of things we're, like, supposed to do. Like, there's a lot of movement Mm -hmm. involved in being idle that is in no way interiorly calm there's like there's Mm -hmm. it brings no peace it comes from no peace it's just 
more churning in a way that we kind of want to pretend is us mm. like decompressing. Right, giving ourselves a break. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. In a way that mm. is, um, that is, you're right, it's frenetic. And also mm-hmm. he talks about that in Hope, right? When he talks mm-hmm. about the, um, the, the um, what is it? Is it the children of despair? The children of something. Uh, the, uh, the way oh, that... the children of the children, the children of Slough, the children yeah. of Cedia. This is on um, page 121. The, uh, you've got like the, um, those, yeah, one of those, or actually a whole bunch of them, right? Is yeah. that, I don't know how to say it, uh, Evagatio Mentis, mm-hmm. uh, where you have, um, you know, loquaciousness, excessive curiosity, um, and a reverent urge to pour oneself out from the peak of the mind into many things, um, interior restlessness, um, and how and how all of those things kind of work um, as um, yeah as as children of the CDF, yeah, yeah. and um, and how those things are contrary to leisure, right? I mean, contrary to hope mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in this text, but I think also contrary to what we're talking about when we talk about leisure. So this is actually, um, you can see it in my little notes. Yeah. This is actually where David ruined my life. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, I found the page really fast for that. I mean, for the reason that, you know, I, I also had a little like, oh crap. Oh no. And you can see where I wrote me in the, <laughs> in, the link, in the, in the thing. Um, cause he says as a capital sin, sloth is man's joyless, ill-tempered and narrow-minded self-seeking rejection of the nobility of the children of God with all the obligations it entails. Right. And I spend a lot of my life trying to like relax or calm yeah. down. Yeah. And it's all just this other stuff on the other page that I mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. flip from things to thing. I'm always anxious. I never sleep. I'm, I talk to people in inappropriate ways. Like it's, yeah, no, David really ruined my life. Cause like now I know what it is and I have to fix it. Um, or I have to contemplate how I am a whole person in a created universe, something like that. I don't know. So we just flew from one text to the other, um, just to keep our listeners, um, like oriented. Uh, so thinking about, I mean, there's, uh, clearly these ideas are related. We're talking about mm-hmm. leisure, um, how Pieper kind of operates in the stasis of definition, talking to us about what leisure is, what culture is, um, what how we differentiate between the ratio and the intellectus, like the, um, the more um, problem-solving, analytical, linear mind versus the intellectus, which is more intuitive, um, contemplative. And, um, and then from there... Uh, we find ourselves, you know, easily hopping over to this idea about hope and um, its relationship, like what what it is to be in hope, and um, and and how it's a theological virtue. I learned something about that in reading this, and about like what the how the theological virtues operate. And um, the, yeah, he, get, he has like a really good explanation, like three points, just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I like mean... What the theological virtues are. It's great. I found that to be super helpful. Do you want to, we don't go there? I mean, is there anything oh, else that we want to do well, here before I, we... And you seem to have a page. Yeah, <laughs> I have his, like, three, like, when he talks about idleness, and then um, he goes into that, like, why leisure is not that. And um, so he, he, he says on page 46, leisure is a mental and spiritual attitude. So like, I think that's a really good thing when it comes to leisure. It's, it's not like, you know, we're going to do some leisure today. So it's, not like, it, it's more right. like, no, like this is Shush, like... Shush, stop your... describing my weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it's true. Like the weekend warrior, though, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, 
play two, no. three, four, you know, <laughs> relax two, three, four, you know, and so that's, yeah. you know, that's in, in contrast to, to this idea. He says it's a condition of the soul utterly contrary to the ideal of worker um, in each of the, every one of the three aspects of like the ideal of worker. Work as activity, as toil, and as social function. So leisure implies, firstly, um, an attitude of non-activity. It means not being busy, but letting things happen. It's a form of silence that means more nearly that the soul's power to answer to the reality of the world is left undisturbed. For leisure is a receptive attitude of the mind, a contemplative attitude, and it is not only the occasion but also the capacity for steeping oneself in the whole of creation. Uh, there is a certain serenity in leisure that springs precisely from our inability to understand. I think that's really cool. The, the peace comes from our inability to understand. Mm -hmm. From our recognition of the mysterious nature of the universe, it springs from the courage of deep confidence so that we are content to let things take their course which yeah. like which again you see why leisure and hope go together because you can only have this kind of mindset um you can only really enter into leisure if you have hope right i think mm -hmm. like you can't right so that's the deep confidence yeah. and yeah. we can talk about how that confidence is not despair not presumption right uh, but that um how it springs from the courage of deep confidence right mm -hmm. and so that um i mean the the confidence um in the fragmentariness of life and history um on the same page mm -hmm. and the um you know the idea leisure is not the attitude of mind of those who actively intervene but of those who are open to everything um so the way that that um that that value also seems to operate like in a tension in, in, in ways mm -hmm. uh, that there's a kind of openness and, and not uh, kind of, I mean, Keats would talk about negative capability, right? They're not clamoring after, um, after answers necessarily, um, but kind of dwelling in this place that's not entirely one thing and not entirely another. Mm -hmm. That section did actually make me think of uh, the novel, The Artist of the Floating World, ah. where he, you have this artist from before the war who's been dragged into propaganda. His like orientation is, is towards contemplation and is towards beauty, and it's been terribly corrupted, and he is so divided from his children who are involved in the post-war rebuilding in Japan, ah. and they... The, the relationship is so damaged, not because of what people have done, but because they can't understand each other uh -huh. because his children are so like involved in the work and it's all about the activity and the rebuilding and they can't see any like value in, in the valuable things that he'd done. That was what like sprung to mind with that section. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, we've seen this or have we? Yeah, I think a, a last thing on leisure that we can like jump into hope is that he says um, the point in justification of leisure is that he should this is 50, is that he should retain the faculty of grasping the world as a whole and realizing his full potentialities as an entity may, meant to reach wholeness. Mm -hmm. It's like, the, like what leisure is for ultimately yeah. is like so we could like actually live our humanity like actually be a human. Uh, and under and I think that's where hope comes in, where you recognize, and we can we can talk about why hope is so wonderful, um, but like you 
you are only really able to experience the wholeness of the world and how everything is like here and good and wonderful if you have this proper sense of like what reality is Mm -hmm. and like that that there is like an intrinsic goodness and order and like direction to yeah to the human to the human person and that enables you to just kind of like contemplate mm-hmm. like that allows you to contemplate which then leads you to happiness yeah I mean the emphasis on reality is mm-hmm. uh, was striking to me in um, in the hope um, book because um, I mean sin is a not recognizing of reality right or denial of reality in some yeah. way uh, that was super helpful to me um, and thinking about um, the I mean, certainly the kind of outward focus um, that, I mean, so Leisure, the Basis of Culture, talks a little bit about how um, modern thinkers will try to tell us that there's nothing out there, that everything is in our heads, and thank you, thank you, Freud, um, and that everything, and also, like, everything is in relation to pleasure, again, thank you, Freud, um, but, the, um, but then if we begin to look outward, um, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing, and, um, and that, that there is an external reality that is worth reckoning with. Mm-hmm. Um, and are worth looking at, and um, and the way that we dispose ourselves, um, comport ourselves in relation to that reality mm-hmm. is hugely important. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So are we ready to move to hope? Anything else that you want to say about leisure? No, I mean not at the moment. I think yeah. I totally recommend this book to, yeah. to yeah. anybody who is interested in um, maybe. Uh, um, it, it, I I think I mean I don't I'm I'm no Thomist, um, but it seems to me that it's like a good entryway into Aquinas. Do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think Peepers like he understood Tom. He's one of the best Thomists of the 20th century, like by far. Uh-huh. And he's also like he he's very humble. Like yeah. Peeper Peeper does what he does and doesn't try to like reach out and do other things. Like he knows he's a philosopher, but he's a very devout Christian. And so he's not, he's not trying to do theology, but mm-hmm. his Christianity and his relationship with Christ like affects his philosophical reflections. But mm-hmm. like he is a philosopher mm-hmm. and he writes as a philosopher and he's, yeah, I think he's a, he, yeah, he's wonderful. Like he's, you're going to, yeah, he helps. Cause I think the wonder of Thomas was that he drew from everyone right. and was able to kind of pre- present a coherent understanding of reality, mm-hmm. drawing from the best of the scriptures, the best of the Eastern Church Fathers, the Western Church Fathers, you know, the the Magisterium, and Plato and Aristotle. And so, like, you have in Thomas a way of perceiving reality that comes from, really, the greats of the past, and Peeper's handing that way. Because I think that's the big problem in modernity. We don't understand reality. And Peeper's kind of, like, what he's so good at is, like, putting in ways we can understand how the ancients experienced reality so we can experience reality that way too. Yeah. You know, and like actually, <laughs> yeah. actually live like a human life, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Peeper. You can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to touch on mm-hmm. the difficult thing because we didn't talk about that as mm-hmm. much where like, um, oh, like thanks Kant. Like the idea of like <laughs> yeah. the good is what is difficult, and like yeah. you didn't talk about it. Like he he quotes Thomas uh, later on, like in the next page, um, where uh, he says, "Oh, where is it? Hard work is what is good." In the Summa Theologiae, we find Saint Thomas propounding a contrary opinion: the essence of virtue consists in the good rather than in the difficult. Yes, which <laughs> goes into his definition of virtue that you loved like, in Hope. 
Yes. Well, it was also really funny. I kind of laughed personally at that moment because I find St. Thomas so difficult that I was like, oh, I never would have gotten to that line because this is too much hard work. (laughs) So I found that actually personally very helpful. Um, And it's, it is, it's a little bit amazing the, how much underlying bad information informs our lives in a way we're not aware of, right? It was like, oh, it's never occurred to me that I assumed if it was difficult, then it was better. Mm -hmm. But when someone points it out in a like very clear way, I was like, oh, maybe this is how I have been approaching this. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. (laughs) David ruined my life. Well, and that, um, I mean, it must be more difficult in such a way that it is at the same time good in a yet higher way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. thinking about, I mean, so if it is difficult, it's difficult because it needs to be. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or it's difficult because I'm not yet at the point where it's... it's the, right. The mm-hmm. so, I'm, like, so maybe it's difficult because it's complicated or it's difficult yeah. because, for me because I'm not there yet. Yeah. Which I think is like the more... Because I think like you, you look at the saints and you look at the virtuous life, like, you know, the more virtuous we become, the more pleasant doing the good thing is and it's like and that's Mm -hmm. that's by design like you know i think like that's again kant's problem right where he's like very anti-happiness ethics and it's like well that's just messed up man (laughs) why can't we why can't we do good things and enjoy doing them like why is that a problem you know right right uh, i I think about dante and purgatory i mean the idea that like it gets easier as you go mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the idea, like, he begins with, uh, you know, the seven peas on his forehead, and it's very difficult going, but as he goes up mm-hmm. the mountain, it's easier. I mean, he encounters different things, and some of them relate to him, but mm-hmm. it's overall an easier thing as he goes, yeah, yeah. As, as he as he purges, as he gets better. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, heaven's not going to be difficult. It's going to be, like, super easy. <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> like, you're not going to be struggling in heaven, you know? Right. It's like, and so does that make heaven not good, because it's, like complete pleasant ple- like complete pleasure all the time like well, and a lot of people David stop ruining my life <laughs> oh my gosh what how that would be boring but it wouldn't be boring yeah, exactly. how that would be boring it's like, I mean that's like it's right, not yeah. an issue it's yeah. like it, yeah it's it's like that's just the wrong question right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. or like you know the more you grow in love, right? It's like, well, this is like, it's easier to sacrifice you know yeah. again like going back to that notion of sacrifice is like setting aside for another like you know <laughs> It's like, I always, like, bring up, like, you know, Mary and Jesus, and I'm like, so, like, Jesus wasn't good because, like, he was the son of God, and, like, it was, like, living the virtuous life was, like, not difficult for him. Right. Does that make, you know, like, oh, yeah, Mary, you know, Mary was just, like, a loser because she had it super easy. It's like, no, Mary's the greatest, you know, human, you know, human person, and she didn't have, she wasn't, like, you know, white-knuckling it through her life. Right. You know, she was, she enjoyed doing good things which hopefully like by the end of all of our lives like we're enjoying doing good things too yeah yeah hopkins the just man justices i did i will bring this up also so in because you mentioned mary Mm -hmm. so on page 47 of leisure furthermore there is also a certain serenity in leisure that serenity springs precisely from our inability to understand from our recognition of the mysterious nature of the universe it springs from the courage of deep confidence so that we are content to let things take their course, which mm-hmm. David has read already. But my note that I wrote was, and she pondered these things in her heart, yeah. which was great because like, I always kind of have questioned when that is read 
And like, what is she pondering? What is going, like, we don't get any explanation for that. We Mm. just get this like model that like Mm. weird, mysterious thing happened. And then Mary like steps back and she's like, I'm going to think about this for a while. And I felt like that was a really, like really good way to basically explain what that model is that we're actually supposed to be having. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we understand Mary as our model of like human life and human love, Mm -hmm. then like I felt that that really made those things like connect. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, that's what she's doing. Mm -hmm. It's not that she's trying to like rat, like rational it out Mm -hmm. rational, not used correctly there, but that she's actually just, like having the serenity and deep confidence of things taking their course because she doesn't yeah. know what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I was like, woohoo, yay, connections! So Philosophy that, is that, useful that, for something. That, that, dwelling, <laughs> that dwelling in uncertainty, right? Like that, yeah. and that, that, right, the confidence to be able to dwell in mm-hmm. uncertainty. Again, for me, I go to Keats. I, I you have the better part. I go, well, but I mean, that's why it's like such a struggle is because I go to the like, no, no, we're going to make things make sense. Uh Mm. Like if we just pick it apart enough, I'm going to have the answer and I'm going to like, I'm going to be able to like grasp it. And then you realize, of course, you're tearing it apart. Mm -hmm. Like you're rending Mm -hmm. it instead of like holding it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a really good image. It's very what I do with my hands. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, so, yeah, it's like the pure ratio, right? Like just Yeah. Well I like that he does does talk about how like the ratio and the intellect just are at um they're a T. Mm. That they're not concurrent things going together. There's like the ratios going this way and then the intellectus interrupts it. Mm-hmm. And then the ratio like goes another way. Mm-hmm. Um that that was helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we think about hope, um, we begin with this um, status viatoris. Yes. Um, in which we are um, we are on the way, right? The idea of um, the the image or the idea of the pilgrim um, that we're having this pilgrimage on Earth, um, mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, he begins by talking about how unfortunately this image of the pilgrim on earth has been sentimentalized. And so he wishes to um, take it kind of, I mean, like he, he wants to um, talk about what it means to be on the way um, in a way that's um, not sentimental and that, uh, that has a kind of depth to it. And he begins there talking about um, the status viatoris as both the absence of fulfillment and the orientation towards fulfillment. And so th- mm-hmm. those two pieces, like we're not there yet, but we're on the way. Right? And there's a, a kind of orientation toward fulfillment. Um, that's kind of where, I mean, that's where he starts. And I don't know where you want to go from there. I, yeah, I think, I think that's the most important place to start is like looking at what it is to be a human and how hope is like the, pro- like, again, Christianity and grace perfect nature. They don't destroy it, but also like the, the proper disposition of the human person is hope uh, in, in the sense that like um, we are called into being right. Cause that's what he, the, the status of being on the way is like you are, we are created for something. 
And so it's a status of becoming, not like mm-hmm. a journey, like I'm going to this place, but I'm becoming more day by day right. who I am meant to be that will ultimately be fulfilled in heaven. Uh, and so like that, but I, I love this line when he's talking about um, the human soul comes after the unrest of earthly life into the peace of its heavenly home. He says, although it is almost literally as high as heaven above the enlightened despair of secular man. And I just think that like line, enlightened despair of secular man mm. is so good because I think that describes yeah. modernity so well. Like we have this sense of enlightenment that we figured it all out and yet right. <laughs> there is such a, a despair that just like blankets us and like covers us. And it's like, but if we remember what it is to be human, what it is to be a creature, then all of a sudden there, like, there's a, 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 like hope is possible. Like this belief that, oh, it all will turn out well. Like it, it will turn out well for me, for us. Like that becomes possible because I, I see, like you said, that like I'm not there yet, true, but I'm on the way. Right. Like I'm, I'm ordered towards something. I'm directed towards something. Or at least facing the right way. Yeah. And that, and that something is good. And even if I'm not facing the right way, yeah, I'm meant to be. Yeah. Like I'm meant to be. And, and yeah. I can be there. And, and yeah. I think that's just like, again, like you, what, when you realize what it is to be a human, like, hope becomes the only like proper response Mm. you know because like no i'm meant i'm meant for heavenly glory and like god is ordering me there Mm -hmm. you know and and that's i I just think it's wonderful like it's 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 fantastic i would counter that it's terrifying (laughs) and is going to require me to change my life and i just like this excellent i'm just saying (laughs) yeah So on on page 93, the state of being on the way refers to the innermost structure of created nature, the inherent not yet of the finite being. And that's where you get the the negative and positive element. Um, And so, yeah, he does talk about, like, the possibility of sin and stuff like that. Um, But nevertheless, right, that that comes from the fact that we are created out of nothing. Right. But because we are something, someone then that means that there is a good that we are directed towards. Mm-hmm. That's just intrinsic in our, our very act of being created, is yeah. we're being set on a path to something. Yeah. Which I think he picks up uh, in chapter... Is it chapter 1 or 2 where he talks about... Oh, yeah, the proper movement of a being that stems from nothingness is to tend towards nothingness. Which, like, is kind of like... objection. Yeah, which is funny, right? Because, like, that's what so many modern people kind of say. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, St. Thomas has already addressed it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The orientation towards nothingness is not the proper movement of natural being, which is always directed towards a good. The orientation towards nothingness comes into existence through the rejection of this proper movement. Mm -hmm. Like, no, like... And, again, it comes back to, like, you're caused to be something, and, therefore, you're caused to be something to go somewhere right to become something and therefore your proper movement is not sin Mm -hmm. it's actually the good right yeah and so the the situation is dynamic um we're not yet lost and we're Mm -hmm. not yet fulfilled right so there's that um that being on the way oriented to the good but not guaranteed success yeah yeah. And I think where hope comes in is it's recognizing that the proper movement, right? Because like if the proper movement was nothingness, then despair would be the proper attitude. But because right. the right. proper movement is 
fulfillment, <laughs> that's why hope is the proper attitude. Yeah. You know. Right. It's 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 fitting, right? Yeah. It's it's suitable. Yeah. Right. And that's a way also of keeping the conversation from being um, sentimental or from mm-hmm. hope getting all treacly um, mm-hmm. in that way, which I think it sometimes can. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he talks a little bit about theological virtues as distinct from philosophical virtues. I found that really helpful, maybe because mm-hmm. it's my, maybe that's my lack of education. Um, I mentioned it to Christopher, and he was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> oh, no, I, I found it very helpful, too. So, I mean, my go Avalon, but... Um, <laughs> my, uh, my information um, stems from Dante. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that, um, that love um, you know, turned this way. Um, leads to sin, turned that way, leads to sin, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, so thinking about, like, how love um, can be, um, natural love can be twisted in ways that lead to sin, um, or maybe that constitutes sin, uh, but that, of course, supernatural love um, mm-hmm. would be, you know, would be the virtue. And mm-hmm. so here, too, thinking about hope in that way, that, um, you know, presumption, despair, and, um, and that rightly oriented hope is the virtue and so thinking and it becomes supernatural too i mean that idea of the um the the relationship between the the natural hope and the supernatural hope and sort of like how that how that works um early on he situates hope between magnanimity and humility or in relation to magnanimity and humility that's on page Mm -hmm. 101 i don't know if you all want to talk about that at all before we get back to sin (laughs) (laughs) well just just to you know advertise more things that I was confused about beforehand. I just kind of assumed that magnanimity, which is very hard for me to say, was the same thing as generosity. Turns out it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was an eye opener. No, I mean yeah. like he he does a little procatalepsis about yeah. that. Like he like he acknowledges that people think that. Um as he talks about it. So whatever it is in German, I think the mistake is also, you know, well, I, I think that's also just because, like, uh, magnificence is the virtue associated with generosity that, like, mm-hmm. only, like, the super wealthy can do. Mm-hmm. So, like, when Aristotle goes through his virtues, he talks about magnificence. And so it could just be, like, magnificence, magnanimity. Because uh, uh-huh. like, yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, magnanimity means this. And I'm wondering if it's because, like, when they were taught, uh, maybe, like... The well, person teaching Aristotle like didn't distinguish yeah. magnificence. And just to be clear, what he says is that um, it is that the magnanimity is the courage to seek um, the great and to become worthy of of that. Yeah. And so that's I mean so that so it's a kind of I mean we would associate it with I mean yes our our common use of, ma- of magnanimity but also um, sort of audacity right the courage to seek. Um, the great and become worthy. I mean, but audacity also has a lot of negative connotations. Yeah. But yeah, magnanimity is, yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool because like a lot of people don't like when they, you know, a lot of Christians or, you know, Catholics, when they read Nicomachean Ethics and they get to magnanimity, they're like, well, this can't be a Christian virtue. Mm. You know, there's kind of like this pause that people have because it seems so contrary to humility at at like Mm -hmm. first glance. But like, yeah, I always say like Saint Therese of Lisieux was like very, a very magnanimous person, and people always, you know, some kids are like, no, she was like super humble. I'm like, well, but she also was like, God, I'm made for heaven, and you're gonna get me there. Yeah. Like that's a magnanimous disposition. You know, right. it's it's magnanimous because she knows that God created her to be in heaven. Yeah. You know, but it's humble because she's acknowledging 
she needs grace and she needs his help to get her to heaven. Right. But magnanimity mm-hmm. is recognizing, no, I, I wasn't made to go to hell. I was made to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, like God made me wonderfully. Like, I, yeah. you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and so like that recognition of like the intrinsic goodness of the person. Mm-hmm. And what I, um, what I gleaned about humility is that it's an, inter- an interior disposition before God Mm-hmm. Um, acceptance of an expressible distance between the creator and the creature. So that, mm-hmm. um, so it's possible for magnanimity and humility to work together in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, though. Don't they have to work mm-hmm. together? Because if you don't have both of them, you're either a jerk or an idiot. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of what it ends up being. Yeah. Um, because you have the totally false sense of humility where you just are down on yourself all the time Mm -hmm. and you're not actually recognizing the gifts that God's given you or you're like so braggy about the (laughs) gifts that God's given you. You forgot that they were gifts that he gave you. So I, once he explained it, it made a lot of sense where I was like, yes, these two things have to be together in order for like hope to be rightly ordered. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, yeah. And that's really what happens because you're right. If you lack humility, you're probably going to pr- be presumptuous. Yeah. If you lack, if you don't recognize that you're made uh, to be with God, you're probably going to sink into despair. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, like those two go together to hold us in the, the pilgrim to remember that we're pilgrims. We're on the way. We're in the status via Taurus. So, you know. mm-hmm. so just, I'm, I like just being very personal. Um, it was, so you have this idea of like the pilgrim mm-hmm. and that has of course been sentimentalized in so many ways because we think of it as, I don't know, just something stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but he has this quote from a guy, I can't say his name. Is it Pascasius Robertus? It is. <laughs> and I was not even going to try and say his first name. But, like, Christ is held by the hand of hope. We hold him and are held. But it is a greater good that we are held by Christ than that we hold him. For we can hold him only so long as we are held by him. So, like, I thought that was just a really interesting and, like, very moving way of showing how the virtue and the pilgrimage work together Mm -hmm. that it is like actually and i hate to say action because we just talked a lot about how action might not be the right thing um but that it is it is a relational action Mm -hmm. that is moving us through our lives Mm -hmm. um because i in people who are maybe not so well educated like myself there is a way, way in which we separate virtue and our life. Hmm. Like, if we don't have this proper understanding of, like, being on the way, mm-hmm. then it's all just, like, in boxes. Yeah. It's like, here's my virtue box, and here's my life yeah. box, and here's, like, and here's my on the way box. And I'm hoping that at some point they all get, <laughs> like, into one box, but most likely not. But I just yeah, thought it was... What, that's what purgatory's for. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. 
I once told somebody that I was really hoping to get to purgatory and she got really angry at me. I was like, but I would like to be there. It's yeah. better than some alternatives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just, I thought that was just a really nice way of mm-hmm. encapsulating. Like this is, this is a thing you carry and it carries mm-hmm. you. Yeah. yeah. And you, and it works between all of the elements. Yeah. Well, yeah, because hope is an act of the will, right? Like, it's a, like there's a right. sense in which, like, you experience the love of God, you experience redemption in Christ, and that let, allows you to say, wow. Like, and that, that's an act of confidence. It's the same thing with faith, right? Like, faith is an act of the uh, well, Faith is an act by which we say we believe. It's an, you know, it's the intellect and will together. But, yeah, like, the, there's a, a choice at play. In, right. in the Christian life. And there's a choice at play in hope. Like, the hoping person is not just the, like, bright-eyed optimist who goes through life with, like, rose-tinted glasses, you know? It's, like, a person who chooses to remember who they are and, like, what they were made for and chooses to look at, etern- like, the human life in light of that. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and which makes, like, which changes, changes everything, you know? And enables a person, I think, to enter into leisure and rest and all these other things because right there's a knowledge of oh i'm actually good like i'm actually like right right so getting rid of um i mean sort of like the psychological idea of shame right Mm -hmm. that's just sort of like a free-floating i'm not good enough i'm not good Mm -hmm. enough that just kind of rides along Um, getting rid of that enables a person to be you know creaturely to, to be properly, um, to be properly on the way. Yeah. And understanding like in a deep way, the relationship of the self to the divine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so he talks a lot about, um, the potential to fall mm-hmm. and, um, the way that natural hope relies on youth. I'm on page 110. Oh, and I then that supernatural hope um, operates in um, in a way that preserves youth, um, and that and when he talks about that, I mean, finally, Saint Augustine, God is younger than all else. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I mean, the 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 twist is that with natural hope, the young have it um, because they have a short past and a long um, and a long future, and then with supernatural hope, um, you can have it because you have a super long future. <laughs> Um, the, it gives man such a long future that the past seems short, however long and rich his life has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that um, that relationship there is um, is useful. Um, the gift of youth that supernatural hope bestows on man leaves its mark on human nature at a much deeper level than does natural youth. Uh, supernatural youthfulness emanates from participation in the life of God. And so thinking about that kind of vibrance. And then, of course, the danger there is, I mean, talks a little bit about um, infantility, yeah. uh, which seems to be a kind of naivety, right, mm-hmm. um, as, as sort of the danger um, in, like, the way, that it, the way that someone can see it wrong. Um, well, the infantility is thinking you've already made it. Like, it, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, that's what, you know, he talks about how, like, despair is, you know, kind of a Christian grown old. Mm-hmm. And the presumptuous Christian is the one who's, like, not willing to be who's childish but not childlike yeah like not trusting but like overly confident that they, they've made it already mm-hmm. uh, yeah i i love his his thing on youthfulness because i think it just resonates so much with the culture at large today mm-hmm. and like this like ch- like you know 
I think a, a world that has at least some proper understanding of hope looks at their elders with respect, even if they're not a Christian culture. You know, there's a sense in which you look at the ancient cultures and the prestige that the older generations had and the prestige that the elderly had and how you would look to them for advice and you would talk to them. And they, they were valuable members of the society and community. And, you know, even if they didn't do any work anymore, Right. Because they were the ones who you could talk to, who would know what to mm-hmm. do, or you could trust, or would help you figure things out. Yeah. You know, and there's a sense in which, in modern culture, we glamorize and glorify youth. And I right. think it's at mm-hmm. root uh, uh, because of the despair of modern culture. Right. That there's, like, this always trying to get back to, like, 25 years old. There's always trying to get back mm-hmm. to, like, this super youthful age. Mm-hmm. And, and not actually appreciate, be- because, well, death is approaching, and you can't mm-hmm. escape death. Mm-hmm. And if there is no resurrection... The only way to escape death is to make yourself look young again, right? You know, <laughs> like or freeze yourself. But <laughs> this is this is so funny because I had the same and the opposite reaction to that idea. It made me much more think about how old so many young people seem. They're tired. They're mm. angry. They're I mean, they're boring. Mm-hmm. There's, there are so many things where you encounter these like very young people mm-hmm. who are already worn out. Yeah. Life is a toil and mm-hmm. drudgery and sadness to them. Because there's no mm-hmm. visible purpose. Yes. Yeah. And because it's just going to be more of the same mm-hmm. and it's right. never going to end. Right. Who would want to be an like, adult if that's what being oh, Yeah. And like, yeah. so no, it's it, both ways. I think it does. Yeah. Like I thought about, um, I thought about Laura who is older than the people in this room. I'm not going to say on our podcast how old Laura is. But Laura is, like, one of the most youthful people I know. Mm -hmm. She is full of joy and energy and love Mm -hmm. and can spend all day with kindergartners in, like, the most (laughs) happy circumstances. And to think about how, like, that has nothing to do with age. That has everything to do with, like, the disposition of her heart Mm -hmm. and, like, what she sees in the world. And, and how she's orienting it. Yeah. So, no, it made me think of, like, how old and sad all of the people who are supposed to be young and happy are. Right. right. Like, right. But then again, yeah, like, there's, there's no hope, right? Yeah, if there's nothing to look forward to. Yeah. And so then in the third part, we, we do get the, um, the discussion of, um, of despair and presumption mm-hmm. that we've touched on as we started, as we, we found our way in through the um, acidia, <laughs> right, and the yeah. sort of frenetic... Uh, mind that um, that we notice um, in ourselves and in our culture as being really um, prominent, and um, and then the way that these ideas, um, the way that acedia um, connects to um, these pitfalls. Um, do we want to talk more about that? Uh, well, I think yeah, I think uh, he he talks in, about acedia in both leisure and in hope. And I think, like, the connections that he makes that's worth, like, bringing out is just that, you know, you don't, like, end up in despair one day. It's, like, a a, yeah. a gradual, habitual, like, way of being mm-hmm. that leads to essentially this this rejection. And, and I think, yeah, acedia is that which what causes despair. Mm-hmm. And acedia is what causes... Um, and, and, and how, like, acedia is... This, this inability, and I like how he Saint Thomas says it's a sin against the third commandment. Like yes. it's a sin against like our 
need to rest in the Lord. Like God made us to rest in him. Mm-hmm. You know, God didn't make us to like nose to the grindstone nine to five, you know, all this stuff, get off work, chug a beer, sit in front of the TV for two hours, go to bed, <laughs> you know, wake up, grindstone, chug a beer, TV, go to bed. Like he made us. No wonder to, your kids are in the dryer. <laughs> he made us to, to rest in him. You know, he made, and, and not just like in, in all of that we do. And so even like our day-to-day work, everything can be a restful experience for the hopeful. Everything can be a restful experience for the one who has this kind of disposition. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like the, there's no reason why like the, the plumber can't do leisure. Or can't right. Leisure. right. I mean, that was kind of my question as I was reading both of these things was I was thinking about the Benedictines and how they're, it, it's like, work and prayer that's like their thing and I was like so how does this work like how do you have those two things and it is it is if it's the interior disposition right if it's the work as praise and the work as worship and right. not the work mm-hmm. as work yeah um but that definitely took a long time <laughs> I was like wait right. but we have like we do have requirements this mm-hmm. is not that our material life can just fall by the wayside. Right. Right. And I think that could be a little bit of a danger if you just pluck these two like out of mm-hmm. out of context where he is I he's not saying like you don't have to pay your bills or shower. Right. Um <laughs> like but I think you could take that people who are mm. looking for something different out of life could yeah. take these mm-hmm. to mean that. That's why I love when he talks about how servile labor is important and like servile mm-hmm. labor in the sense of like it's labor for the sake of something else. Yeah. And, he's, and like how he says like, well, the solution, um, the solution is, uh, I love this because it was very rerum navarum. This is in leisure. Uh, the basis of cultures is like giving the wage earner the opportunity to save and acquire property, limiting the power of the state and overcoming the inner impoverishment of the individual, meaning mm-hmm. like proper and true education. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, cause yeah, that's, um, and I think that last one he would, he would say is the most important, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, yeah, you're not going to like neglect your, yeah, where's that? that's page 59 in leisure. You're not going to like neglect your daily obligations, but there's a sense in which you're putting everything in the right place mm-hmm. and everything's in order because, and this is how he ends leisure. And you know, I think how he ends hope too, in a sense, because the worship of God is like what it's all about. Yeah. And like everything is done for the sake and culmination of worship and every, and not everything flows out of worship mm-hmm. you know? cause that's where, that's where that relationship is forged, developed and where the trust that enables the hopeful man to say like, like Job, though he slay me, I shall trust in him. Like that's, right. that's where all that comes together. Yeah. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to end if we want to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more that we could talk about, um, but it seems like um, we've we've hit, even though they occur in lots of different places, I think we've mm-hmm. hit most of the main ideas. I think so. Um, and um, and I would recommend both of these reading selections to um, you know to the the um, intelligent general reader um, who is you know is interested in these things. So I think that that's um, a, a good. I think they constitute a, a good a, a good introduction to St. Thomas, or David thinks that I, I don't know. 
Um, and they um, and they also elucidate a lot of um, issues and difficulties in our culture, um, as well as I think just like in, in being alive. Um, so yeah. So yeah. thanks. Thank you, Sherry, for Thank having you, us. Sherry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, David, for such good recommendations. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Life of the Mind podcast from Brookwood and Avalon Schools. I'm Sherry Walsh, here in the Peeper Leisure and Hope episode with David Bose and Andre Francois. Our producer is Quentin Walsh. Our theme music is by Fabian Tell. You 